Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. everybody to uh, the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. We uh, are grateful to have you with us today. And uh, we have our very special guest, uh, an old associate of mine from back in the day, Dexter Warrior. And uh, we're happy to have him with you. And uh, Dex, for the um, sake of everybody on the call, uh, you know, obviously most people don't know that we go back even to the pre T. Dallas Smith days. We've known each other for a long time. You know, unfortunately, we don't hang out like we like we could, but you know, we tend to run into each other at uh, functions and events and other trade association things and whatnot. So uh, it's good to see you as always, and um, glad we've been able to keep in touch with each other over the years. First of all, you know, one of the questions that keeps coming up that I often see is um, leasing. And I don't know if it's the mindset that it's a, a little bit easier or it's quicker money, but you would be the first person to tell us that there is a lot of work that goes into leasing and it's not just having people sign a lease and pick up a paycheck. Is that safe to say? That is safe to say, sir. There's <laughs> a, lot of lead, a lot of lead time involved. Even before you start leasing, first of all, you got to find clients. I mean, we, we T. Donald Smith & Company, we actually are doing tenant representation work, which is uh, basically exclusively representing clients when they go to negotiate leases with landlords. We don't do any landlord representation work. We are solely 100% focused on tenant representation work. If you find us doing any landlord sort of work, it's because it might be in connection with uh, an existing uh, client who is needing to uh, perhaps uh, find a sublease, a subtenant to sublease the space they're pulling out of, or in fact, they may uh, have moved to another location and may want to sell their location. So, but for the most part, I'd say 95% of what we do is 100% tenant representation work. And again, we can't represent the tenants we don't have and clients we don't have. So for starters, even before you start talking about lease, you got to figure out a strategy. You know, what is my strategy to go and identify clients and identify, you know, folks who want to do business with? So, uh, and on our side uh, of the shop, uh, in terms of what we do, we focus exclusively on office tenants. We also focus on industrial users and we focus on folks who might need help with land. Uh, and out of those three categories, uh, I'd say, you know, it's probably about equal, equally distributed between office and industrial clients we do business with. Gotcha, gotcha. That's good information to know. Have you seen an uptick in industrial as of late? Because of online shopping or anything else? Yes, I mean, industrial markets are pretty pretty, pretty stable, pretty active. I mean, there's some softening that's happening on, on the office side somewhat uh, because people are simply not occupying space right now. So we don't really know, you know what the ultimate conclusion will be uh, in terms of the market resetting itself as a result of you know, the economic you know, disruption we've had this year you know, with people physically not being in space. And the retail industry has obviously gotten hammered as well because of what's going on in America right now. But but for the most part, the industrial space uh, has remained uh, fairly strong uh, in, in 2020. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. And I'm sure we'll continue to see that grow. So one thing, Dex, just to kind of rewind the tape a little bit, I appreciate that update as to uh, what you guys are actively doing at this point in time. But um, one question did come in prior to the call, and that was uh, your career path. How did that actually lead you to... Uh, where you are right now with T. Dallas Smith. Uh, like I said, we go back before those days, but how did you choose your career path that actually led you to where you are right now? 
So I, when I was finishing uh, high school, uh, my senior year, uh, I was really blessed with an opportunity for a program to come to Atlanta called Inroads. Inroads started in Atlanta in 1980. Dr. Jane Smith Browning at that time uh, was asked by Frank Carr uh, to start Inroads in Atlanta. Back then, they were basically trying to identify uh, talented minority youth and prepare them for positions of leadership uh, in, in the corporate American community. Uh, and I was, I was fortunate to have been selected to become a part of that program. You know, I had interviewed with several companies, and one of which at that time was Equable Real Estate. Uh, and Equable Real Estate uh, ended up selecting me as, a, as an Inroads intern. Uh, and so I worked with Equable Real Estate in the asset management area throughout my time in undergraduate school, really primarily heavily full-time employment during the summer months, uh, as well as during the holiday breaks. So I had a chance to really jumpstart my career early on while I was actually, again, a rising freshman at Georgia State University. So wasn't sure I was going to necessarily major in real estate, uh, excuse me, wasn't necessarily sure I was going to pursue a career in real estate when I went to Georgia State. So I actually did an undergraduate degree uh, in business with a focus on management. Uh, I figured I'd have myself flexibility to really go in the direction I want to go in and not necessarily uh, be pigeonholed into just one sector of the business industry. But I knew I wanted to get into business. I just wasn't sure exactly what area of business I wanted to get into. So uh, I ended up you know, getting my undergraduate degree in management. And after I finished school, I interviewed with several companies and had offers from other companies, but ended up going my sponsoring company, Equitable Real Estate. So I started my career out, 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 right out of undergraduate school on a full-time basis working in the area of asset management uh, within Equitable Real Estate. And then I went back and got my master's degree in real estate from Georgia State. Uh, I finished that up in 1990. So Equitable, uh, for those who don't know it, back, back in the 80s, they spun the headquarters out of New York and brought it to Atlanta. So there's always a big presence for the real estate business in Atlanta for Equitable Real Estate. Back in the 80s and 90s, you know, we were one of the largest owners of real estate in, in, in America uh, excuse me, in, in Atlanta, uh, we were one of the largest owners of, of commercial real estate assets in Atlanta. Uh, so I worked in asset management, worked with really state pension funds uh, day one, uh, from CalPERS to CalSTRS and some of the other larger pension funds. We started, you know, back in the mid 80s, you know, really servicing those big pension funds in a major way. So uh, I always worked with clients externally uh, versus internally controlled funds. So that helped also to give me strong, uh, a strong foundation in client service really out the block. So spent spent quite a number of years as an asset manager working with uh, office real estate, industrial real estate, multifamily and retail, uh, mainly again, working with state pension funds. And so spent quite a few years with real estate. We sold the business to uh, a company called Lynn Lease uh, out of Australia. And so I helped move the business over from Equitable Real Estate to uh, Lynn Lease, and we uh, were with Lynn Lease for a while. And then Lynn Lease eventually started losing traction. And that's the whole chapter that I can tell you about Lynn Lease. From Lynn Lease, uh, we ended up working with uh, moving the business over to Morgan Stanley. So I had about 26 years in the business between Equitable Real Estate, Lynn Lease, and Morgan Stanley. So my last chapter with Morgan Stanley, I was the portfolio manager, I was uh, managing director, uh, excuse me, executive director and, and portfolio manager. Uh, responsible for uh, some of our pension fund business. Uh, I managed the state of Florida's uh, business relationship we had at that time with Morgan with Morgan Stanley. And basically everything that happened within Morgan Stanley, I was the quarterback, uh, basically harnessing all of our resources within Morgan Stanley to make sure we provided, you know, obviously quality service. Uh, this particular client not only invested in funds, but they had a heavy concentration in, in buying uh, real estate on a direct basis. So most of the assets were on the East Coast and West Coast. 
Uh, and again, I, you know, anything that we're regarding existing asset management responsibilities or acquiring new assets, again, I, I quarterback that entire relationship in terms of uh, working uh, for that client, working with my colleagues, provide quality service for our pension fund clients. So around 2009, unwound the separate account business within Morgan Stanley and then uh, worked myself out of a role within Morgan Stanley. They wanted to focus on the legacy funds. We may recall back in 2008, uh, 2009, uh, the financial markets had a major you know, tsunami that hit it. Uh, right. It was heavily caused by, by the real estate industry at that time. Really, the, the, the residential industry is what really unraveled the whole commercial real estate in, industry as well. So Morgan Stanley decided, look, I want to go back and focus on managing legacy funds and not spend much time working on separate account business. So I ended up unwinding that separate account business within Morgan Stanley and worked myself out of a role uh, with them. Uh-huh. Yeah, I had an opportunity to go and work with some of these other companies that picked up some of our separate account business, but really uh, it would have required me to relocate to Chicago or perhaps working in, in Texas, but I just didn't want to really uproot and go and move to any of those markets. So Dallas and I actually knew each other back during, during my days at Georgia State University, and we knew each other civically in Atlanta. So when he and I saw each other, uh, this was probably the first quarter of 2010, we saw each other uh, at an industry event at Atlanta History Center. Uh, Dallas said, look, you know, what, what are you up to these days? And I said, look, I just left Morgan Stanley and, and you know, thinking about starting another business. Uh, he said, well, you know, you, you and I need to talk about becoming a business partner. So that seed was planted by Dallas probably in February of that year. And at that time, I was serving on the board, the foundation board at Georgia State University, and they were trying to recruit Dallas to become a member of the board. And so that meeting took place in April of 2010. And so Dallas and I, you know, started really some serious conversations after that recruitment meeting to the foundation board. You know, I really started some conversations in earnest just to try and see if we were compatible to, um, you know, to work together as business partners. Uh, Joel, sorry for such a lengthy answer, but I'll wrap up. This <laughs> no problem. So remember my church called me up and said, Dexter, I need some help with some space. Do you know somebody can help 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 out with finding some office space for my aunt and I? We need you know, about 10,000 square feet of space. And so I called up Dallas and said, Dallas, um, you know, we got our first transaction. We kind of test each other out and see if we can work together. So that was summer of 2010, which led to another transaction. So that, you know, those two transactions are really what seeded our relationship together to try and, you know, keep moving the ball forward. So we've been together on a full-time basis since the top of 2011. Uh, and we just celebrated again you know, ten years of uh, of our business partnership together in, in 2020. Yeah, wow. Well, that's beautiful. A lot of history there, but that's that's a good walkthrough because that's the the question that a lot of folks want to know. As you know, a, a lot of the members on the call are from REIT, and they're trying to kind of get their roots planted in the industry. And the idea is, well, what direction do you go in? And, and what most a lot of folks don't realize until they uh, get involved with a program like this. Commercial real estate has so many tentacles and so many different directions that people go in. It's kind of good to have some ideas to uh, how this is all going to come together and make it work out. And uh, actually, look who's uh, joining the call, Kim McIntyre. How about that? Uh, Kim was our special guest uh, about a couple of months ago. So, uh, Kim, good to have you this morning. Uh, good morning. Good to be here. Good to see you, Dexter. Hello, Just Kim. Want to come to support. Good to see you again. Good to see you, sir. It's a pleasure. <laughs> Yeah, thank you, Kim. We appreciate that. Actually, Quinn had a question that, that came in. Uh, let's go ahead and address that right quick. Then, I, Because I know your time is short, I certainly want to get back to the uh, deal that was recently done over in Aladdin Station. So we look forward to talking about that. So uh, what Quinn was asking about is um, uh, he wanted you to speak, Dexter, about your experience in working in corporate CRE versus the uh, entrepreneur 
side of the table, which has been more beneficial from a career perspective and what has been most rewarding about both experiences. So uh, how would you address that, Quinn? I mean, uh, that's too. You know, that's, that's, a, that's a very good question. I mean, obviously, I thoroughly enjoyed my 26-year run uh, with Equitable, Morgan Stanley, and, and Lynn Lease in between. It was just a special part of my, my life that I just found pleasure in. And obviously, the business that I'm in right now is, is, is uniquely different. I mean, it's, it's totally different from what I was. I mean, I think about, you know, my first days in the office with, uh, you know, with Dallas. So it was just Dallas and, and Leonte and, and Kelly Agnew. And, and we had Dallas had an office. And then there was an office next to Dallas. So I, I tell people I swapped, I swapped a nice corner office in Buckhead. Uh, for sitting at a at a glass top table in front of in front of Leonte, you know, and Kelly was sitting. We were all sharing the three of us were sharing office together. So you, know, you got to be prepared to have a humble spirit because if my ego was is so inflated that I couldn't swap out and really you know go into that situation, just could have rocked my world, but it didn't. Uh, I mean, I just felt that you know I went from I tell people also the other things I went from certainty of compensation at least on a base salary to 100 percent uncertainty. So. It's a change, and so so I'm 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 thankful that I, I lived a, a responsible life where I managed my resources in such a way that it wasn't a financial shock to my family. And I had two small kids, and and still you know they're not grown yet. I've got a twelfth grade son and a son that's in the uh, that's in the seventh grade. So let's see, one is thirteen, and one is seventeen. So if you roll back time ten years ago, I mean those are small kids. So so, so pardon me. I said I remember. Yeah, the small kids. So, so, so for me to take on that entrepreneurship, this coin is a good question. At that point in life, it can be nerve wracking. But, but fortunately, uh, I tell people that, that my wife, you know, was working, and uh, she works for the federal government and has has a good, stable sort of good job and bringing in, you know, money to help, you know, to take care of the family. But also, I, I did have a service package that I left out with as well. So I wasn't, you know, totally nervous 100% about it, but I just, I knew I, I was going to give myself some wrong time to see if it was going to work. And if it worked, I'd keep rolling with it. But if it didn't, I'd pull back and go find something a little bit more stable. Because again, you know, when you're in your late 40s trying to start start a business uh, from scratch, it's not a, you know, easy path. So, I mean, because when Dallas and I connected, Dallas had just lost a ton of money uh, in doing a development deal, you know, on the south side of town. He just, he was, he, he was basically starting from scratch also. So the two of us kind of got together at a time when you know he's kind of getting back into his core lane of, of doing tenant representation work. And here is I'm, you know, just left my previous role and both of us almost for the most part starting, you know, from not totally from ground level zero, but we were we were those first few years were tough. Yeah. I remember I remember uh you know one of our first trips to uh, Memphis, Tennessee, it was Dallas and Leonti and I we drove to Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, to show you how, how how broke we were back then, the three of us, you know, shared an embassy suites room together. Dallas had a bed, I had a bed, and Leontay was on the sleeper sofa. I was trying to manage money, so 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 I went from you know basically having resources at my fingertips at, at Morgan Stanley to just basically again starting from scratch. So so sometimes it's just really you know, are you psychologically prepared to make that adjustment? But I'm I'm glad we did because. You know, you look at, you know, where we were back then, you know, first two or three years, just feeding the business and really not really have much in the way of covering my, you know, my previous base salary to basically funding the business and starting from scratch. So, you know, it can be nerve wracking. But again, if we if we didn't do what we did, you know, during those initial years, it would not have led to what you just talked about a little while ago, which was the Microsoft transaction that we closed this year on. So, 
So it was, it was, it was good. But again, I think we're doing something special at T. Smith and Company, and I'm glad, glad to you know to see where we are. And a lot of businesses, you know, just don't survive after the first two or three years. And I'm thankful that we've been blessed to be here. You know, the three of us have been together, you know, ten years later now. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a very good point. You know, you have to have that stomach of steel. You know, I've, I've been, uh, didn't spend as much time in corporate America, but you know, I was in U.S. trust for many years on Wall Street. And, um, you know, to go from that to the independent side of things is, is challenging, you know, so you got to have that stomach of steel, but you also have to have a, uh, a reserveness in order to, um, to push through it and persevere uh, in times of challenge. And, uh, you know, those days of, of sleeping in the bed with your partners, you know, or not in the bed, but you know what I mean, in the same room from that standpoint, I, I certainly can understand and relate to it in a lot of ways. So because I, I know your, your time is relatively short today, and, and I appreciate you jumping on here, uh, let's fast forward. Let's talk about that Microsoft deal. That was uh, a granddaddy of a deal. It, it certainly hit the uh, press wires. And, uh, you know, I'll speak for myself. I was very, very excited to see you guys pull that off and to make that a reality. So uh, how did that all come together? If you could give us a little background on that and um, what encouragement can we draw away from it for our guests today that are on the line also? So I'm going I'm to I'm pause on, on, on Microsoft and give you a little bit of a story that, leads up, that led up to Microsoft. Sure. Uh, so Microsoft, obviously, that transaction just didn't happen overnight. So let me, let me dial back time a little bit. Sure. So when, when Dallas uh, and Leontay and I first got together, we said, look, you know, what kind of model do we want to have in our business? Do you want to be a business, uh, doing tenant representation work just in the state of Georgia and metropolitan Atlanta? I do want to create a platform that's really bigger than just the state of Georgia. So out, out the box, you know, we said, look, we want to have something that's bigger than just the state of Georgia. So Dallas had already gotten licensed in about eight states, eight or nine states beyond just Georgia. He was covering the southeast region. And so we said, look, let us let us decide, you know, which what type of corporate accounts we want to go after to position ourselves to have strategic partnerships that 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 are bigger than just doing sort of one-off deals in, in, in the metropolitan Atlanta area. So we came up with a list of, of clients who want to pursue. Our first strategic relationship was with the General Services Administration. We were a subcontractor to uh, a company called at that time, but Studley, uh, and then Studley Savage. So Clark Dean was kind enough to allow us to work on that account, and that was 2011. And also we picked up AT&T uh, as, a, as, a, as a client. Uh, so AT&T has activities in the Southeast region, so we were blessed to work with AT&T, uh, and we still have AT&T as one of our corporate accounts. Next year will be our 10th anniversary with AT&T as a corporate account. We also picked up uh, Crawford Company, uh, which is based in Atlanta. We did probably about a half dozen deals with Crawford Company before they changed their model. Uh, we're not servicing them at this time. The other strategic account that we picked up uh, was Coca-Cola. Uh, we've done work with Coca-Cola. Uh, not a lot of work, but some work with the Coca-Cola companies. We also picked up FedEx as a client. Uh, and the FedEx relationship came about as a result of me serving on a panel discussion uh, with a senior executive within FedEx. And this is probably 2011, 2012, when I met this gen- gentleman. Uh, and then uh, two, four years later, 2000, I guess I met him in 2011. And then in 2014, we ended up picking up a contract with FedEx. Uh, and that relationship has been very, a very active relationship. We've closed on probably about 25-plus transactions with FedEx from New Jersey to California. So between FedEx, uh, and then let me mention one other client before I get to um, Microsoft. Uh, we also have uh, JP Morgan Chase uh, as a client. So, so when you started talking about, you know, having done work uh, and having clients like AT&T, working with Coca-Cola, uh, doing work with Chet FedEx, uh, Chase, 
it helps position you to, to have credibility with a client like Microsoft. So it wasn't like we just one day, you know, showed up and said, look, you know, let's start knocking on Microsoft door and see, can we do work with Microsoft? It just doesn't work that way. We have about five, basically Fortune 100 companies we we either don't actively work with or we've done work with over the last you know, few years and everything. So that type of client base uh, helped prepare us for a client like Microsoft. So, I mean, if you look at our team collectively, uh, in the commercial real estate space, our team right now is approaching 200 years in the business in the commercial real estate space between Dallas, myself, Robert Scott, you know, Alder Cunningham, uh, and others on the team. We're, we're knocking close between 175 and 200 years in the business. So between Dallas and I, we're at 70 plus years already just between two of us. So Dallas having, Dallas having done a lot of work on the tennis side and better part of my career is on the, on, on the, on the institutional ownership side. We're saying, looking at the end of the day, we can we can do this business. Uh, it's just a question of whether or not we have clients uh, with receptive ears that allow us an opportunity to, to work on their behalf. And so that is really what happened with Microsoft. Uh, we met uh, the head of global head of real estate of, of Microsoft uh, at a Cornet conference, uh, Cornet Global Summit. Uh, this is several years ago, and uh, we just struck up a good relationship with him. You know, he was kind enough to bring us in, allow us the opportunity to meet with his team. Uh, we were vetted. You know, we had to go through you know the vetting process and get get registered as a tier one manager, uh, and then you uh, you know you, you get ready to go to work. And so, uh, fortunately, we called Microsoft at a good time because they were they were, they were looking at expanding their presence beyond you know just the West Coast and bringing some activity on the East Coast. So this year, uh, they end up signing a major lease uh, outside of Washington D.C. and Western Virginia, and they signed a major lease uh, in Atlanta. But again, it's back to being prepared. Uh, and just having those relationships in place, uh, and 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 really, you know, being being blessed to be at the right time for the right opportunity. And we, we're absolutely humbled to have Microsoft as a client. We're very thankful to have helped represent them on that basically about 523,000 square feet of space uh, at the uh, Atlantic Station, which is really they're going to lease the Atlantic Yards project, which is being developed by behind. Yeah, well, that's that's very impressive. You know, one one thing that's that came out about this uh, that was often asked about is how do you, well, let me look, just look at the, the questions here that have come in. Um, uh, what strategies or tips would you recommend to help a tenant evaluate a property and determine if it's the right space for them? So I think what, what we do on the front end, we have, we have a uh, book, the Dallas Road, a few years ago, we, we collectively collaborate on it together and it's called 34 Steps of Tenant Representation. And so what we do is we actually get, go through a qualification process on the front end you know, with the client. We try to understand their needs, try to understand their, their budget, and try to you know, qualify a tenant before you even get the process on the way. Uh, there's a deep dive qualification of a client uh, to understand, again, what parameters they're looking for. Do they like where they are right now? Do, are they ready to make a change? So, so it's a lot of you know, understanding of the requirement up front uh, before we actually start going out looking for the opportunity. So, you know, some clients, you know, may want to upgrade the space. Uh, some clients may want to, you know, reconfigure the space. Uh, some clients may want to modernize the space. So there's a lot of different factors going into trying to make sure you understand the requirement before you start doing a, a market research effort. And we have a database that we subscribe to, uh, CoStar, uh, that really is our go-to database, plus just the relationships we have with the owners of buildings in, in, the, in the metropolitan Atlanta area, which is where, again, the, the heavy preponderance of most of our activity is 
in, in Georgia, but we do a lot of work outside of Georgia, primarily with FedEx uh, is our most, and AT&T. Those are most two active clients who actually do business outside of the state of Georgia. But we have other relationships. We do business with other clients outside of Georgia, but, but the majority of that, that work uh, outside of Georgia is with FedEx and uh, AT&T. Okay, okay. As well as Microsoft. Right, right. Oh, so you're doing all the work with Microsoft now too as well? Yes. Okay, all right. Fantastic, fantastic. One of the other questions that came in was, how do you calculate or understand fees to be paid to you uh, if you are a tenant broker, and how can you negotiate those terms and protect yourself from being undercut in the deal? So fortunately in Atlanta, uh, most landlords typically have have fees that are reflective of the marketplace. So for example, in Atlanta, and this is not common across other office markets, but most landlords typically pay the outside tenant rep broker a 4% uh, commission of the revenues over the term. Uh, plus, they give you the first month's procurement fee. So you, you scratch your first rent, you get the first month's procurement fee, and then for the balance of the, of the revenue, rent that's paid by that particular tenant minus any free rent, the actual rent paid, not including. Let me just keep it simple. Just the rent that's paid is a four percent fee that's paid on 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 that particular revenue stream. And most landlords, majority of landlords, pay that fee on, on the firm term of a, a lease. So if there's a cancellation provision in the lease, you only get paid up to the point of the lease cancellation uh, date. And once that date passes and then terminate, you can get the rest of that fee at that time. And it's not paid monthly, it's paid up front. There's some landlords, if the credit of a tenant is not that strong, they may say, look, you know, we, we're going to pay you over the term of the lease, maybe on an annual basis. But the majority of the landlords do pay the commissions out front, up front on office transactions. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. And that actually parlays into uh, the, the next question that we actually had was about working with non-rated tenants. You know, how do you determine a tenant's credit worthiness if they're unrated? The goal is to make sure, obviously, dealing with a client who's going to be prepared to pay the rent. And most most landlords ask for financials of a client before or as part of the negotiation process. So most landlords typically, before finalizing any business terms, especially if it's, a, it's not a known client uh, that they can go in and just kind of check them out, you know, with public or private information. They just they just need to understand the credit worthiness of a prospective client that they may want to bring into their lease and bring into their billing. They'll review that. And so if you start having a client that has, you know, uh, if they're if they're a startup business, uh, they may require them to put some sort of personal guarantee on the lease. Uh, if a startup business it's going to just have a different uh, set of dynamics and economics that a landlord may be willing to offer uh, versus a, a known entity that's been up and running for a while. So our, our goal has been really to try and make sure we work with established companies. We do work with some startup companies from time to time, but that's not necessarily a core of what we do. We, for example, uh, because of strategic relationship with a particular individual, you know, who had, you know, uh, the means to start up uh, Gus's famous, world's famous fried chicken, you know, we brought them into Peachtree Center. Uh, that was the first time this particular individual had been in the restaurant business. But again, he had the, the financial, you know, credit worthiness and, and, and the landlord at Peachtree Center was fine with, with bringing Gus's in. They've been there now for about four or five years, I believe. Hmm. Okay. So there are instances where you do have startup individuals who, who have the means to actually, you know, to start a business and become successful. So all startups are not necessarily, you know, equally uh, distributed. I mean, some startups, you know, will work well and some, some won't. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it just all depends. 
at the end of the day, it's really the landlord's responsibility to look over the old The Microsoft deal, to me, reflects a very powerful transaction for our community. And by our community, I mean African-Americans in commercial real estate, or if you want to expand that to people of color. Because I, I'm, I'm not sure if you mentioned it, but and I don't know if everybody knows that the head of global real estate for Microsoft is also a person of color, his brother, who went to Alabama A&M. And you did indicate that you had met him at a Cornet Global event. But one of the things that I talked about when I was in, involved with Reap directly was it's been great that Reap has done all it can to help us as people of color get into the industry. And we know that the headwind against us has been that people in this industry have tended to hire people who look like them and work with people who look like them. And one of the things that I advocate is, as much as we've been fighting that with the majority community, um, we have enough people in this industry and enough people in positions who can make decisions about where business will go that we should start embracing that. And we should be making first call to someone who looks like somebody in our family. And I don't, it warms my heart when I see transactions. I, mean, I jumped out of my chair when I saw the, the Atlantic Station transaction uh, between you guys and, and, and Microsoft. So, so keep, keep, keep doing that. And the more we can find each other in positions to give each other business, the more we'll be able to hopefully survive all the headwinds and, and systemic situations that we're battling on all other fronts. Ken, Ken you, you're absolutely correct. I mean, if it were not for Michael Ford being in that spot, T. Donald Smith and Company would not have had that opportunity. It's just simple as that. Uh, you got to have somebody who's sitting on the other side of the table who's really willing to hear the story and, and see that we're responsible professionals that can execute. I mean, and, and, and Michael Ford and, and Microsoft, I mean, they, they had given the credit, they had the courage to believe in us. And not everybody's prepared to believe in us. So, Ken, your point is well taken. Because were it not for Michael Ford, the prospects of us getting that deal would have been pretty low. Let's just put it that way. I mean, I'm just keeping it real. And so uh, we're thankful that he was sitting in a spot. And, and again, I look, I look at what happened with FedEx. Two African-American men are responsible for us being within FedEx. Uh, so I'm, kudos to those African-American men who helped make that happen for us at FedEx. And so all of our business uh, hasn't come from just African-Americans. I mean, look at AT&T. You know, there was, there were, there was um, a strong advocate for us who's now retired, who's out in California, who, who helped brought us, uh, brought us into the AT&T. There were two black men who helped out in the regional level, but you had to have a good, strong white man you know, with an AT&T to help to get that relationship going. So... You're right, Ken. At the end of the day, you know, we, we have to get ourselves as a community of black people in positions like Michael Ford that we can make sure that we're pushing to have diversity within the ranks of, of, of corporations to reflect America. So, so thank you for, for giving the spotlight to Michael Ford. Yeah, yeah, good point. Ken, thanks for bringing that out and then for jumping in there while I have my, my little issue here with the technology but um, that's a very good point. So, Dex, even, even more on that, because at the end of the day, that's really what, what this is all about. <clears throat> you know, how do we foster this growth in smaller businesses like T. Dallas Smith and how you guys have grown over the last 10 years because of uh, making this happen? Did I drop out again? No, you're good. No, you're good. Okay. So Joel, well, Joel, one, one of the things that Dallas told me day one when we became business partners is that there's not enough people of color 
uh, not enough black people, especially in the commercial real estate space. He said, look, before they put me in my box and they get called out of here, I want to do what I can do to help diversify this industry. So, so again, you start off with Dallas and Leontay uh, and myself and Kelly. You know, it's the four of us. Kelly moved back to Hawaii, back to home. Uh, so we, we've gone from three people now to about 16 professionals on our team. But, but we've been, been very intentional about trying to identify and go talent within the business. And so that's, that's our model. Uh, and we haven't stopped that growth yet. I mean, Audra Cunningham just joined us. And one of her uh, responsibilities is help us out with talent development. So how do we how do we keep number one demystifying this industry of commercial real estate space and trying to make sure we plant seeds uh, across the board, you know, with young people and get them to think about commercial real estate as a career uh, and not wait uh, until we get to be you know seasoned professionals. But how do we introduce and expose young talent to the business uh, so they can want to pursue it as a career? I mean, look at Georgia State University, which you know graduates more African-American students than any college university across the country. You know, we're trying to, you know, you know, again, cultivate that, those seeds there to get young minds to think about getting into commercial real estate space. And the commercial real estate industry needs a wide variety of disciplines. It's not someone just, you know, it's just not a one-dimensional industry. You need people who have uh, analytical skills. You need marketing people. You need legal minds. And that's going on. You need people to help out with architectural planning and design work. The industry has a lot of needs for it to be successful. Uh, and somehow we got to, again, plant those seeds to young people to get young people to think about getting into this commercial real estate industry and really be intentional about doing that. Yeah. You know, I, I completely agree with that. You know, the, the whole idea behind this, as I had mentioned before to, uh, you know, Vianette and some of the others, that uh, this was really designed for reef students to look over the shoulder of me and my team on a daily basis conducting business and kind of get a feel for how we put deals together, how we analyze deals, how we structure them, how is this a good deal, is it a bad deal, how we raise capital and do all those things so that they can have that exposure and be you know, exposed to it. And it's kind of morphed into what it is right now, but that, that's really the whole idea. How do we foster each other and help plant those seeds in order to uh, grow those, those additional places of talent, of people of talent in the industry? I think what you guys have done is a remarkable job. Like Ken, I was extremely excited about uh, what's happened over there at Atlantic Station because it's an exact, a, a great model of tapping into the tech industry and cracking that in order to, uh, you know, foster growth in, in the uh, in CRE space for minorities. So that's a, a big, big thing that is obviously the area of growth around the country. So, oh, Ken, you had something you wanted to add to that? I just wanted to circle back to what Dexter was saying about, you know, talent coming into the industry, maybe just for the benefit of, of everybody on the call. And also uh, because I, I, we have a program that works with high school and college students. And when you're looking for young talent to come into your organization, what are the skills and competencies that you think we should introduce young talent to sooner so that they're better prepared to be productive when a firm like yours gives them a desk to operate from? Good question, Ken. I think everybody's got to see where they are within their spectrum of risk. So Quinn, Quinn asked the early question about, you know, Dexter, how was it, you know, transitioning from, you know, the corporate real estate side to being the entrepreneurship side? So I had the fortune of being blessed, like I said, with a wife that had funds coming into the family and I wasn't doing a complete nosedive into my into my savings, short-term or long-term savings. I just didn't have that. 
I didn't, I didn't do a deep dive. I had to obviously fund my share of the ownership of the company because uh, I am a principal and owner of T. Dallas Smith and Company. So I was, you know, obviously upside down the first few years. But the question is, if I'm starting from scratch and ground level zero, you know, first of all, if you go on this side of business, which is 100% commission-based business, uh, do I have the staying power? Can I, you know, go two, three, maybe four years before I get my legs strong? Back uh, when I was chairing in, in, in Dallas as well, we chaired, we, when I was chair of the uh, Commercial uh, Real Estate Council for Empire Board of Realtors, you know, we had different real estate professionals in the brokerage community coming in and sharing their story and, and asking the, the most commonly asked question is, well, how much time does it take a new broker to kind of get traction to really start making money in the industry? And it was pretty unanimous that they said, look, you need to allow yourself at least three to four years. It just takes time to really get traction before your legs get strong. So, so if going on the brokerage tenant representation side if your financial situation doesn't allow you the opportunity and runway time to, to get ramped up and to get going, uh, you may need to think about, do I go into another area of commercial real estate and not necessarily pr- pursue day one, you know, a, a 100% commission-based you know, opportunity? So that, that, that's a critical question. So, so one, of the, one of the things about, you know, if you're going after younger students, you know, who may, you know, have not as much debt and overhead, they may have, uh, they may have a little bit more capacity to stomach not make any money because, you know, like we've just got one young man who just graduated from Georgia State University, uh, Maze McQueen. His overhead is very low. You know, he doesn't have a lot of bills to pay. And so Maze just started with us right at Georgia State. I mean, he was interned with us for a while, but that's a situation where, you know, he, he hadn't gotten too far down the road with, with having a lot of debt. So Maze said, look, I'm all, I'm, I'm all in. I want to go ahead and, and, and get started day one as being an entrepreneur. So, so I, think, I think people have to understand where their psychology is at. If I'm willing to have the opportunity cost of foregoing something today for something better tomorrow, how long is my runway time? If it's not a long one, it's a short one. I just probably need to be realistic with myself and not get into, into the broker side of business that's 100% commission-based. There are some companies who do have, again, staff positions where you go in and actually have a, a traditional sort of salary roles. And so you may want to start off in another area of real estate and not necessarily get into the broker side as far as what we do. And again, back to what I said earlier, is, is property management roles. We represent you know, uh, the ownership side of business. There's leasing that you can do on, on the ownership side of business where you have leasing of dip, different office buildings. So there's still ways you can get in the business, but you may need to think about the tenant representation side a little bit later once you have some staying power if your financial situation may not allow you to do it day one. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. I know um, uh, you, I think of myself even as an example. Uh, we've had a number of uh, individuals from time that have you know, started with us and, you know, they've either stayed or they've endured or some have moved on to other opportunities. But um, you, you have to have a certain mindset. You know, this isn't a corporate job where you walk in, you know, and you have your water cooler in the cafeteria and you, you know, take your breaks at three o'clock. It's, it's a grind. You know, you get in, you grind it out, you do what's necessary to be successful. And you, it, it doesn't matter what the time is on the clock, you get the job done. And uh, you have to have that mindset. And Joe, I appreciate you, you bringing that up because Ken asked about some of the other attributes and, you, and you're absolutely hitting on them right now. Yeah, that is, do I have the personal drive and to get up and go to go get it? I mean, right. you got to have the drive to go out and, and develop relationships, uh, to build meaningful relationships and to be able to, to, to allow yourself a time to be successful. It's just not going to come overnight. 
you got to be disciplined. You got to be willing to come in and know, look, I, this is my to-do list for the day, tomorrow, et cetera. And this is when we get done this week. And you need to be prepared to, to do it with, with, with minimum supervision. You, again, you got to want to do it because you want to do it, not because somebody's managing. So I think everybody has to decide within themselves, am I more of a person who needs to be managed? Well, I'm a, I'm a person who wants to really, you know, really be a you know, full-fledged entrepreneur. And, and do I have the, the wherewithal to want to hang in there to, to build something special? You know, back to Quinn's question earlier, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful this, for this chapter that I'm writing because, it, you know, it could be a situation where, you know, if my, if my boys want to go and work for T. Dallas Smith & Company, you know, 15, 20 years from now, I'm hoping that we have a business in place and we tell people, we want to manage our business and build our business in such a way that if our team members' kids want to come work with T. Dallas Smith & Company 10, 15, 20 years from now, there will still be a vibrant company, you know, down the road. So it's not about just, you know, Dallas and myself. It's about us leaving a legacy so that those who want to, you know, continue beyond the two of our, you know, uh, lifetime with business, they can, they can do that. So, Joel, you're absolutely right. Am I comfortable? Do I have the, the risk tolerance to really get in, into the entrepreneurship space? Do I want to pursue something on the commercial side that's, that's not as risky, but more of a, a salary structure sort of situation? Yeah, yeah. And I was actually going to bring up the point, and you've already hit on it, about having that discipline to work unsupervised. You know, if you really want to get it, you'll put the work in in order to be successful at what you're doing. But if you have to have a boss looking over you all the time and that kind of structure, it's not that one is better than the other. It's just different. And certain people are not made that way to work in that type of environment. So, you know, like your case, my wife comes from a corporate background as well. And, you know, it, it's just different. It's not right or wrong. It's just different. So you got to have that tenacity uh, in order to, to take the entrepreneurial side. So that was a good question by Ken. We appreciate him bringing that up. Well, let me ask you this. What, what else is on your mind? We're kind of down here for the last 10 minutes. Uh, we appreciate you staying in a little bit longer. Uh, I don't see any other hands from anyone else on the call, but in, in final comments, what would you like everyone to know on the call uh, going forward um, as they continue to pursue their career in commercial real estate? Again, I, th I think everybody needs to really ask themselves kind of what intrigues you about the industry. What can I do to start narrowing down this big playground that's out there do I have an interest in the multifamily space? Do I have an interest in the office side? Do I have an interest in the retail side, industrial space? I mean, what area do I want to focus on? And, and what area do I want to become an expert in? Uh, because sometimes I think we, we try and be, um, uh, you know, split, not split, but, but spend our time in, in a lot of different areas but not really become experts in certain yeah. sectors, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So I would just ask everybody, look, if, if, I'm, if I'm interested in this commercial real estate space, how do I kind of narrow it down a little bit and decide, you know, what type of asset class, for example, I want to get into? Yeah, I haven't even talked about the hospitality sector. I mean, hotels, you know, it's another industry, you know, that you can get into. Uh, student housing, I mean, there's a lot of areas of commercial real estate that's out there. And the question is, you know, what intrigues me most and how to become a student of that particular sector, uh, and how do I study it, how do I start reading about it, how do I start understanding it more, uh, especially if, if I'm not in the industry right now, if I want to try to get in the industry, how do I become a student of it and start really seeing who the players are that are in that particular sector? You know, do they have a presence in metropolitan Atlanta? You know, do they have offices here? You know, what type of roles do they have with the, within the organization? Uh, and start trying to meet with those individuals and to learn more about it. Uh, start reading about it, going online and reading about that particular industry more 
And again, just become a student of it. And then just trying to figure out, look, you know, these are the different careers that are in this area. These are the different opportunities that might be in this area. And this, this particular opportunity right here, it, it fits my personality, it fits me best. So I think people have to be true to themselves, Joel, mm-hmm. and make sure that they're doing it for the right reasons and, and really just go get it. You know, have a passion and desire to really want to work hard at it and to really become proficient and become a professional at whatever chapter they want to write. But again, it's okay to write multiple chapters, uh, but don't necessarily, you know, I mean, if you don't write multiple chapters, make sure you write them very well uh, so that you can't keep building on the previous chapters and everything. Yeah, and, and you bring up a good point about being focused so that if you go in too many different areas, the, the industry is just too broad. Uh, you, you'll wind up being a jack of all trades and master of none. So you certainly don't want to fall into that category. You, you gain more credibility by focusing. I mean, I think about, again, what we've accomplished at T. Down Smith & County. We focus primarily on an office and industrial. Uh, our biggest industrial you know, opportunities have been with FedEx. Uh, we haven't done a lot of other industrial. We did one industrial deal with Coca-Cola Company, but for the most part, a heavy part of our f- industrial focus has been with FedEx. But for the most part, beyond FedEx, on, you know, our, our work has been on the office side. We've intentionally not tried to spend a lot of time in the retail space. Again, we've intentionally not spent any time on the landlord side. You know, we tried to focus this big playground to something that we wanted to be viewed as experts in the space. Uh, and I think if, if clients you know, saw that we were all over the place and not really focused, if they saw that we were doing you know, office, excuse me, if we're doing you know, multifamily, we're doing hospitality, we're doing this in the commercial space, we're doing that, and we're working on investment sales, we're doing mortgage work, they wouldn't know how to view us. And I think, think that because we did kind of narrow our focus and, and try to be viewed as market experts in the office and industrial space and a little bit in the land, I think that creates credibility in terms of what we do. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. You know, people tend to compartmentalize you and they think of you in a particular category. And you do. You want to be that go-to company because you're viewed as the expert in that space. So uh, that's a very, very valid point. You know, we appreciate you bringing that out. But as we get ready to to, to wrap up, Kim, was there anything else you wanted to add as we uh, kind of wind up for the day? No, just greatly appreciate all that uh, Dexter and Dallas does. And, and like I said, I'll, I'll, uh, my heart jumps when I see the headlines. And you, fortunately, you guys have been making some headlines this year. So that's a good thing for all the bad news that we've been getting. So uh, I appreciate, Joel, you, you, you hosting this event and, and having you know a special person like Dexter on it. Well, Ken, it's been a pleasure uh, to, to be uh, with you all this morning. And it is a humbling opportunity to have worked, you know, on the Microsoft transaction at some point in 2021, you know, to see uh, their name uh, being emblazoned in the skyline uh, will be a pretty cool factor. I mean, that'll be really the third time that, that our team members have been involved with changing the skylines of Atlanta. Uh, we were also involved with Hunter Peachtree uh, when Georgia's on credit union moved out of Midtown Atlanta uh, to Hunter Peachtree. Uh, that, that name changed. We were involved. We were procuring broker on that transaction. We worked in tandem with Cushion Wakefield on it. Mm-hmm. And then Dallas was involved uh, with the foundation with the Georgia State purchase of Turner Field. So three, you know, three transactions in a short, you know, walking distance of each other, you know, that we were involved with. It's, it's pretty special for our team. And Dallas didn't have on his T. Dallas Smith and Company hat when he did the deal with Georgia State. He had on his Georgia State University Foundation hat as, as chair of that real estate committee. But still, just to be have been involved behind the scenes with that Turner Field project was special. So. You know, we're not done yet. I mean, we, we, we still have a very hungry appetite and uh, and trying to build, you know, keep building on the foundation we've laid for the last 10 years. And, and let's just see what happens, you know, get blessed for the next 10 years to do even, even, even greater things in terms of helping help impact the industry. 
Yeah, yeah, very fine point, man. Certainly appreciate it. And, uh, you know, it's, it's exciting to, to see your growth and, and the things that you've done over the years. Like I said, we've, we've gone back a, a long way. I didn't realize it had been so many years, but, you know, as you know, we, um, we go back to before your, your T Dallas days. So it's good to see how we still keep running into each other at the same events, you know, we're, so we're still in here hammering it out and making it happen. And, uh, you know, I view you as a good friend from back in the day, and so happy to, happy to see you. And um, thank you for contributing so much to uh, our event today and, and being part of this uh, Morning with Joe podcast in uh, CRE. So uh, we thank you so much for that and certainly keep in touch. And uh, thanks, Jay. Make some things happen. Yeah, absolutely. All right, everybody. So, again, thank you so much for uh, joining with us today. This has been Mornings with Joel. And mornings with Joel and CRE, or whatever I decided to call this podcast. But <laughs> I appreciate you guys being with us today. And uh, it's been a great morning. So we hope you have a successful week as well. All right. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. Please check back weekly to hear our upcoming guests.